0: So, um, I feel bad. I'm referring to a mishap um, of Julie's, which Jonathan would know much more about um, because the two families holidayed together. But apparently um, she went off on a run, and it was only supposed to be a short run, and um, she was expecting a turn and um, kept on running because the turn hadn't come. Kept on running because the turn hadn't come. Kept on running because the turn hadn't come. In the end, she ended up running 14 miles um, and they sent out a search party for her. (laughs) But some of you, yeah, so I think this is more of a a British male pride thing, Um, but I'm sure some of you have have gone out on a walk and you got lost. And you're like, you're expecting to see a building or expecting to see the sea. And you're like, I should have seen the sea by now. Um, And then it doesn't come. You think, oh, okay, maybe the next ride. And you still, who moved the sea? Um, and on those kind of journeys, you have to sometimes go all the way back, and apparently this is what Julie did, and they got the maps out, they went all the way back to the the beginning of the journey to try and find out where they went wrong. You've got to retrace your steps, Um, and that involves humility as well. But only then you can realise where you went wrong, and that's sort of how 1 and 2 Chronicles work. Most likely, these books written around 450 to 400 BC for, this is the purpose, for the Jews returning from 70 years of exile in Babylon. And we know that that exile um, came to an end according to King Cyrus's decree um, that he had made in 538 BC. So the purpose here, 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, is written so that these Israelites can retrace their footsteps refine themselves as God's people and stride ahead in hope. And it's important that we get that. We understand that purpose because if we don't, then we're probably going to be left sifting through our overview cards thinking, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. I mean, it's all just the same. They're just telling me the same stuff over and over and over again. Do I really need to bother reading this? Well, friends, yes, you do need to bother reading this because of the purpose and I think the purpose is drawn out a little bit more by the fact that the chronicler I'll call the person who wrote chronicles the chronicler has been really specific with material so there is absolutely nothing on the northern kingdom did you notice that when you were reading through yeah nothing on the northern kingdom it only focuses on the southern kingdom of Judah and that's quite a significant difference um As an aside, just thinking about the four Gospels, uh, we know Matthew, Mark and Luke, the Synoptics, um, and indeed John, they sometimes refer to different events that not all of them record, and sometimes when recording the same event they come at it from different angles. we're left reading, we don't think, oh, I'm not going to trust this because it's different. Actually, we think, yes, God, thank you, praise you, because you've given me different camera angles of Jesus' life. That's how they work. And that's how 1 and 2, and 1 and 2 Kings and Chronicles work. Now, I say this because, unfortunately, many people misunderstand the Greek title for Chronicles. <clears throat> the Greek title for Chronicles is literally translated, the book of omission. So skeptics hear that, and then they question its historical reliability because the, the chronicler omits some of the, the details we might expect to find. We might expect, like 1 and 2 Kings, um, to hear of some of David's blemishes. We might expect to read about his adultery with Bathsheba, but the chronicler doesn't even... Go there. And I think a lot of historians do this. We shouldn't question the book's historical reliability because the historian in this question has a bigger purpose. And as I've said, that bigger intention is that the returning exiles refine themselves as God's people, depending once again on his promises. I just want to give you another example of one of the omissions. And it's right there in the first verse, first chapter. So the book kicks off, doesn't it? List of names. And it starts, Adam, Seth, Enosh. For those of you who know your Bible, you'll be thinking, okay, there's an omission there. Bible trivia quizmasters amongst you. Who comes between Adam and Seth? Cain and Abel, they don't get a mention. I mean, why don't they get a mention? It goes straight from Adam to Seth. And, and again, it's the line of Jesus, exactly. They're refining themselves in the Davidic line. There's going to be loads about David in one of Chronicles. They need to refine themselves in the promises concerning David and the better David. I think it's also cool, though, as an aside, that the genealogy starts at Adam the first human being. Because, remember, these returning exiles, they felt small in Babylon. They felt like, you know, a baby that's just been picked up and is taking to and fro. They don't have any independence. They feel small, they feel at the mercy of others, and yet here they're being reminded that actually... They're the hope of the world. Their story is the creation story, the first story of the first man. Now, anyway, I've laboured this point purposefully because I think it's important that we, when we read any book of the Bible, we've got to understand its, its purpose. And, and sometimes um, to understand its purpose, you've got to read the whole thing. And then the various passages make more sense. Um, I also think for those sceptics that I mentioned that highlight the omissions, it would be better for them to fixate on the Hebrew title of 1 Chronicles. And the Hebrew title is translated the annals of the days, i.e. the record of the time. And there is no doubt that the historian responsible... By the way, in Jewish tradition, many thought that the chronicler was Ezra... You've come across that before. Um, anyway, whoever it was, they have been very, very meticulous. We, we see throughout the book that they've um, consulted a huge amount of resources. It's trustworthy, and I've said. Um, as with one and two Chronicle uh, Kings, I mentioned originally is one scroll. That's the same with one and two Chronicles. Again, no reason for um, in history for um, cutting it in two. Presumably, it was because it was one really, really long scroll and it was easier for scribes to record if it was split into two. Um, like my favourite game, rugby, um, chasing around an egg-shaped ball, it's split into two halves. So you've got the first half, chapters 1 to 9, basically a long list of genealogies, the tribes of Israel, and then the second half, 10 to 29, focusing specifically on David's reign. And my intention this morning, I'm going to be fairly brief, but... The second half, when it comes to 10 to 29, I'm just going to focus on one passage of, um, of, of, of 1 Chronicles and just tease out a few applications from that passage. Beforehand, for 1 to 9, I just want to make a few comments on genealogies. So chapters 1 to 9, first half, I counted 886 male names, 25 female names, 25 names for nations in chapters one to nine alone i wish that were true (laughs) i googled it um and then i tried to verify um that google was correct but i lost count (laughs) anyway there's a lot of names there and um this is the book to consult if if um if anybody's expecting a newborn they want a bible name you come here um I, I plumbed the depths when we were expecting Joshua. I plumbed the depths of 1 Chronicles. And um, I loved some of the names. And I tried to suggest to Ellie um, that one of the biblical names, which I think would be so apt for me, Greg cush was Nimrod. Allah <laughs> Genesis 10. N- Nimrod, the son of Cush, who became a mighty warrior in all the land. And I was like, yes, Ellie, this is, this is the name for our son. It's a strong name. Walking to school, um, they're doing the register. Charlie, yes, miss. Toby, yes, miss. Nimot, yes. I'm here, miss. <laughs> um, but then Ellie, she looked into the meaning of the name and she found that in the Hebrew, it's translated rebellious. <laughs> and so then we thought ahead to the teenage years. We were like, no way. It's not going to happen. But I remember reading her this Uh, list, this genealogy in Mon Chronicles um, a few years ago and she she said to me, she responded, Greg it it doesn't sound like you're speaking English and I remember reflecting on that and I thought yeah that's completely right these are all very Jewish names and again just thinking what that would mean for the returning exiles they've just been around uh, uh, in a foreign land Lots of other names that don't sound like home and yet they're now coming back to home and they're reminded this, this is us. These are our names. These are our people. They're re-establishing themselves with their broken Hebrew history. Second thing I think is so wonderful about the biblical genealogies is that they show us God cares for the individual. He knows us by name. And I think we just breeze over this fact so much. It's only when you watch films like Schindler's List, and you you, you remember just the, the the trauma the Jews went through—just having a number tattooed on their arm or wherever it was, known by a number. That's not personal. God knows us by name. Remember Jesus when he's walking this earth? One day he's walking, and he sees this short chap climb up a tree behind a crowd. He can't see Jesus, he just wants a glimpse of Jesus, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, ah. <laughs> I see you up there, fella, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight, and you imagine how Zacchaeus feels, It's like, wow, this... he knows my name, There's all these people, much taller than me, who don't like me, who think that I'm a traitor, and yet he knows my name, and he wants to eat with me, amazing, and then we think, not only does he know our name, he knows how many hairs we each have on our head, now, don't take this personally, Jonathan, but for some that's easier than others. But he knows how many hairs we have on our head. He's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. He loves us so much. Um, again, reflecting on the genealogies, I I don't know if you've ever had your name in a in a paper, um, you know, a local advertiser, or even, you know, The Times or anything like that. Maybe, maybe some of you have. I... I um, used to have my name fairly frequently in the Buckingham Advertiser simply because of rugby. You know, from, they're, they're, And it wasn't because it was a high standard. <laughs> I remember probably about the under sixes or the under sevens, um, there was a little kind of, almost like a headline on page 59 um, at the back, Cushing turns on the magic. <laughs> and I was a six-year-old. And I remember I just left the, that, advertiser open on the coffee table at home on that page and i think i might have even highlighted cushing turns on them, just so that any passers-by would would see it uh, unwittingly um, but i think sometimes when we read the genealogies it's easy to think oh this isn't applied to me but then when we realize that actually it's about us we're linked to that history each of us in this room linked to the history of the names and one chronicles then all of a sudden, we want to read those names. They, they become more enticing for us. Uh, we're told at the end of the Bible in Revelation that God has a big book. And again, it's a list of names. The book of life. And everybody who loves Jesus, who trusts Jesus, their name is written in that book. The books are precious to God. Names are precious to him. And that book reminds us of his faithfulness to his promises. Um, One final thing to say on the the genealogy recorded here in 1 Chronicles is that it it does have a specific focus, as we've already mentioned, it specifically focuses on the Davidic line, hence um, Seth and not Cain and Abel. And and the chronicler, maybe Ezra, he does this in two ways. He focuses on the kingly line, Judah's lineage, and that's obvious because um, he focuses on King David. But then he also focuses on the priestly line, and that's Levi's lineage. And um, and I guess he does that by focusing loads on the temp- temple. And obviously the priests served at the temple. And he also shows that David is very Moses-like. So that's his intention, to focus on the Davidic line. Think king, think temple. Both very important for the returning exiles. They're returning. When they've been in exile, they've been thinking, you know, has God forgotten about us? Um, What now? And then they return. And perhaps when 1 Chronicle's been written, the temple's already been rebuilt. And they're thinking to themselves, man, the stories that we heard of the former temple was, we thought it would be much more amazing. And there's almost like a, a sense of unfulfilled potential, a little bit of bitterness. And the chronicler, as I said, he knows all about David's many flaws, but he doesn't mention any of them because he's trying to fill these returning exiles with hope. He's saying, there's, they don't have a king at, at the moment when they return he says, there's going to be a better king. One like David, but better. And he says, there's going to be a better temple. One like the temple you see in front of you, but even better. And again, their promise is still for us, friends. Okay, we know about the better king. Uh, we think of the physical temple at the, at the, at the moment in, in Israel, in Jerusalem. And, oh man, Israel's been on our hearts, hasn't it? the conflict over there, we're praying for peace, but thinking specifically about the temple, Christians don't even have access to the temple. It's an Islamic um, spot now. We don't have access. And so we think, okay, has your promise um, not, not been fulfilled, Lord? I mean, have you, have you reneged on your promise? Well, no. Because his promise is just so much bigger. And his promises, his promises of David, a better David, a better king, a better temple, are all fulfilled in Jesus. You know, just before he dies, what does he say? He says, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And we know he's not talking about the physical temple. He's talking about his body, that's the temple. And then the New Testament furthers that theme. And the New Testament calls us, the church, the temple. Individually, with temples of the Holy Spirit as a church with a temple of the Holy Spirit and you know the beautiful thing about temples certainly in the time Jesus is speak, speaking not made of brick. brick bricks are all uniform they all look the same they're made of stone and stones are all different we're each different and yet brought together we build something quite beautiful and We've all got our own quirks and foibles, we're stones, but God is trying to wedge us in together. He doesn't call us as lone rangers. And so I guess we need to be thinking about ways we're still making church about us. I need to do that. Because friends, church, God's temple, is so much more than just about Lin-Log and me. It's about us together and collectively we are so strong. Your business is my business. My business is, is your business. Uh, so that's the temple, but then also we know, don't we, that Jesus is the everlasting king. He's riding on a donkey, a colt of a donkey, into Jerusalem. People laying down their cloaks, palm leaves, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. We know one day he's going to return on the clouds of heaven. Only the everlasting king can do that. Now, Surely that should bolster our trust in the biblical promises. Just wonder what promise you need to hold on to today from God's word. Maybe it's that you need to remember Romans eight twenty eight that he's working through all things for your good. Whatever that looks like, you're going through a rough patch right now. You just need to remind yourself of that. Or maybe you feel attacked by Satan at present. And you need to remember Revelation 20 verse 10 that Jesus has defeated Satan. Fulfillment in the past helps us to trust for the future. Um, He fulfills the office of king. He fulfills the office of priest. And I should say he also fulfills the Office of prophet. Prophet, priest, and king we sing, don't we, in that wonderful Newton classic. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds, my prophet, priest, and king. Amen? So as I draw to a close, I mentioned that I was going to read one one passage. Um, It comes from chapter 29. Um, I'm going to read verses 10 to 19. And for a minute or two minutes afterwards, just pull out a few things for us to think about. And this is King David's closing speech. Um, this We pick up these words shortly after David has made extremely extravagant personal donations to the future work on the temple of God. And then we read these words. Uh, so chapter 29, verse 10. I think I'm reading the English Standard Version, so it might be different to... Both riches and honour come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Then David says, but who am I, and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, there's no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we've provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things and now I've seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. few words from David. As I say, the chronicler builds up David as the one. who brings hope. And I think there's just a few things we can learn from this final speech of his. Uh, firstly, God alone deserves praise. He, he says, verse 13, Now we thank you, our God. Praise your glorious name. It's what we've been doing this morning. I love the Tuesday service because I feel privileged to be in your presence. We come and we just praise and I hear these praise just come up from your deepest parts of your hearts. It's, it's a true privilege for me. And in a society where we constantly talk about our rights, we you found that? Outside church walls, it's your right for this, it's your right for that. It's your... And with that narrative, we b- can become really self-obsessed and actually we come back to church and remember actually this world isn't all about me. It's all about him. And the beauty that is our God is that he loves us And he creates purpose and meaning. And wants to lift us up to be with him. Begin with praise. Uh, Secondly, humility. I'm really struck that this King David, verse 16, says, but who am I? And I wonder when you heard that read just now, what voice you gave to David. Because it's definitely not a, you know who I am? You get some really pompous fellows, don't you, saying that. Don't you know who I am? He's not like that. I mean, David, although the chroniclers doesn't mention it, it it's, but who am I, Lord? You know who I am. I'm, I'm that fickle guy that just gave in to my own dirty desires and, and did that horrible thing with Bathsheba and then just even more just... Sick. I I covered up that with a murder of the person she loved the most. That's who I am. You know who I am. Why are you blessing me? I think it's really important for us to always be honest with ourselves. Um, spoke in the last overview about the sinner pride it's ugly isn't it i remember one person saying to me um well i had to come on some pride one time i was i was opening up to a, uh, a minister I said, no, I'm just struggling with pride at the moment and this was the best beat down i could have got it's like what have you got to be proud about <laughs> thanks mate yeah. Yeah, but it worked I tell you it worked But then the other comment that I've heard is the best thing to do if you're struggling with pride is to sit at the foot of the cross. Because then not only do we fully embrace God's love, but we remember that actually Jesus needed to die for us. Where's pride there? So God alone deserves pride. Praise, uh, the note of humility. And then, uh, thirdly, I think from this speech, you get the sense that everything we have is on loan by God. I was really struck, um, David saying, All oh, this abundance, you know, we've, we've, we've built this, built it for you, but it, it came from you in the first place. Like, it's yours. And I'm struck when Jesus says, Give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God's what God's. What's God's everything? And again, you know, we challenge ourselves, don't we? Like, are there things that we're holding on to because we think that they're ours? You know, are there things which would usually be out in our home, but when somebody comes over to our house for hospitality, we put them away because we don't want to share those things. They're ours. They're not. How does it impact our tithing, our giving? You know, they're they're soul-searching questions. And then finally, the last note from King David's speech. I want us to know that we can please God with uprightness. He says, I know my God, you test the heart, you have pleasure in uprightness. Uprightness is obedience. Did you know this week, friends, that you can put a smile on God's face, simply obeying his word, letting him know that his word is more important to you than anything else in this world? Friends, that's 1 Chronicles. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it has fueled your excitement to read it. Next week, we'll be looking at two chronicles. Shall I close with a prayer? Father God, praise you for this book. Thank you for the, the hope that it, it, it teases out for returning exiles. And we know that we too are on a journey. You've called us on this journey to, as it's put in Pilgrim's Progress, the celestial city. We're journeying with you to you. And we pray that that the promises mentioned in this book, we would feed off all the more, that we're headed towards a better temple. We're headed towards the eternal king. We're headed towards the, the fully fulfilled prophet, where all of the previous prophetic voices are fulfilled. We thank you that that is our hope. You alone deserve our praise. Amen.